Think distribution. Think about distribution. Think about who also speaks to my audience and how could I potentially partner with them? How can I find a win, win, win solution for the potential customers, the partner and myself? Um, distribution is the shortcut to business growth. Um, for us at Speak On Podcast, we really didn't do too much marketing at all, but we focus on distribution, which got us our early customers and still several customers a month at the moment through these partners that we established. It's a long game, um, but distribution is your shortcut. everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another fun expert episode with uh, Mark Colgan. And, uh, and hopefully I pronounced the name mostly right. Um, but uh, just as a quick introduction, we're going to talk a, a lot about kind of B2B or business to business marketing and sales. And that includes um, how to understand your customers, uh, taking a, you know, say, or a sales development approach, which is or can be using outbound sales and, and whatnot, how to use LinkedIn for sales, which if anybody knows me, I love LinkedIn. Um, what is, when is the right time to build awareness for your brand and doing that with a podcast? maybe a little bit of marketing automations and what that might mean and how you might interweave that in. Um, using uh, user onboarding software might be another discussion. So a lot of things as to how to take care of your customers and how to build your uh, build awareness and build uh, sales and marketing. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Mark. Hey, Devin. Thanks so much uh, for inviting me. Really looking forward to being here. Absolutely. So now before we dive into the area of expertise and the topic at hand, uh, maybe just give the uh, introduction to yourself, let the audience know a little bit about yourself, why you know what you're talking about and why you're the expert. Sure. Okay. So yeah, as, you, as you've heard from Devin's intro, there's quite a few different topics to cover. So uh, to give some explanation about that. Um, so my name is Mark Colgan. I'm from the UK originally, but I live now in Lisbon, Portugal. So I've been digital nomading for the last for four or five years. Uh, but I started my career in recruitment, uh, which is a combination of matching people for their jobs and then also the sales and business development side of things as well. After four or five years in recruitment, I moved into marketing. And Devin, this was back, back when there wasn't such a thing as digital marketers. So it was very easy for me to position myself after reading the Dummies Guide to Internet Marketing and pimp my site for SEO. Um, I worked with B2B technology companies and a lot of software companies. Um, and I worked in a marketing and revenue leadership role. Um, I then took a year sabbatical, went traveling around the world, um, realized I didn't save enough money for retirement. So I had to go back to work uh, where I consulted as a MarTech consultant. So building out marketing automations and CRMs for B2B SaaS companies, uh, which leads me closer to where I am today. Um, I then ran a hundred person remote company, went in and turn, turned that round, fixed a lot of the uh, processes and optimized them. And then June, 2020, built my agency uh, alongside my business partner, which is called Speak On Podcast, where we grew, we've grown over the last 18 months from zero people to almost 20 and just approaching our first six-figure month. Awesome. Well, that's definitely exciting. It sounds like a lot of progress, a lot of, a lot of experience to back that up. So now with that is, uh, you know, kind of that uh, intro in hand, 
or diving into some of the topics at hand and uh, a lot of fun ones, at least for me, that uh, sound like they're definitely uh, useful ones, which I think the first one to start off with is kind of probably a, a basic one, but oftentimes one that people struggle with and, uh, you know, people or, you know, businesses maybe don't or fully grasp even if they think they do or they have no idea where to start with, which is kind of how to understand your customer, or, you know, kind of how to understand who is even your customer, because that seems like mm -hmm. on a foundational level, you almost have to or get an idea of your customer before you're able to actually go in and do the work for them or, or market it to them and sell it to them. Because if you're selling it to the wrong person, you, you know, to the, the wrong individual, you're not going to make that connection. So maybe give us an insight as to how do you better understand your customer? Sure. So if you're just starting out and you haven't got a product or service just yet, then it really does have to start out with a hypothesis of who do I think would find this valuable and who would be willing to pay for it. Uh, but the quickest way to find that out is actually have conversations with those people. And I think a lot of startup founders, especially the more technical minded ones, skip that part, go straight into building the product and then they try and sell it. Um, so really, when it comes to understanding who your customers are, there's two things to think about. Um, who, who are the ideal customer profiles? So they, that really talks about the companies, the types of companies you want to sell to. And then who are the buyer personas? And those are the individuals within the companies. Now, there's a lot of confusion in the market about an ICP, which is ideal customer profile or buyer persona, but I really like to treat them separately. Uh, and what you'll soon start to develop an understanding is that there will be different company sizes that you can sell to and therefore different people within those companies. Because if you're trying to sell to a, a very small business with just 10 people versus a company with 400 people, uh, it's not the same individual that you would need to be speaking to within those organizations. But to get started, have those conversations and test out your hypotheses. Now, one kind of question to that or kind of follow up, because I'm, I think this is an area where people and businesses can struggle in the sense that a lot of times when you start out, you might have an idea of your customer, you might have an, an inclination. Obviously, you, you built a product or a service, you're saying, hey, somebody's going to want, hopefully you've thought about somebody's going to want to pay me for this or buy it and who that might be. But on the other hand, you also might say, hey, we've got several different customers or different clients that may all be good. You know, I'll give you an example. So one of the businesses I I did uh, when I was starting out or while I was doing MBA school, one of the, the first startup I did was with a wearable hydration monitor. And it could have been everything from, you know, our ideal customer, our customer we could approach could have been collegiate. It could have been, you know, sports and athletes. It could have been weekend warriors. It's a more of a consumer mm -hmm. base. It could have been military because military needs to monitor for um, for soldiers. It could have been for the elderly population with urinary tract infections. So there's a list of, you know, quite a few that we could have been would have been a, a customer that potentially would have needed our product. And so how do you go about understanding who, you know, whittling that down or, you know, and I get that's different for every company and it's, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's certainly a bit variable, but how do you kind of go about starting to whittle that down or get a better understanding? Is it just scattershot, try to sell to everybody and see what sticks or should you narrow it down or kind of how do you start to delineate that? Yeah, the way that I start to kind of narrow down which direction to go in is just think purely about distribution. So I'm thinking about how can I get in front we're in as in front of as many of these different segments as I can. And there's more than likely going to be an outlier or a couple of outliers. So you talk about the military, you've got one contract and that then opens up thousands of users. Uh, again, I'm not too sure of the business itself, but um, sure. whereas if you're trying to go and speak to I don't know coaches and consultants, they're completely sporadic and spread out. But even then you can think about distribution and start asking yourself, who else serves this market 
that offers a complementary product or even a different product or service, but they have a community or an audience of those people. So I look for distribution, first of all, and then I start with the one that I have the most chances of really of reaching more people to begin with. Uh, but I do believe in niching down to begin with. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are scared of doing so because they think the market is going to be too small. But when we make these decisions, we don't we don't we forget that we can change our mind in three months. Right. So we can start in one niche. Uh, dominate that niche and then move on to the next one or find out that it doesn't work and just simply pivot and focus on somebody else. I think we make these decisions sometimes and we think they're absolute, they're black and white, but it's always in flex. And that's something I've definitely learned over the last 18 months. No, and I think that that is a a good point because I mean, a lot of times you figure, okay, we've made our decision. We're going to charge this, this road and, you know, come hell or high water, we're going to make sure that we, or this is the right decision. And yet having that flexibility and ability to pivot or adjust to once you find out, Hey, this, you know, we've learned this may not be the right customer or to your point, military, they're great if you get the contract, but it may take several years and a lot mm-hmm. of more time and effort to, or to land those contracts. And it may not be that best first step to jump into things. And so I think that yeah. that definitely makes sense to, as far as how you might go about doing that. So now let's say, okay, we reasonably understand our customer. We kind of identified it. We think this is our initial entrance, or this is the one we're going to go after. You know, the another thing we talked about is a little bit more of a, a sales de- or development approach, and that can incorporate outbound sales approach and other things, but maybe help us unpack that a bit. Kind of what is that and what should we be thinking about? Yeah, and, and now is the right time to think about that. Now that you've identified which ideal customer profile and understand the buyer personas, whether that niche is going to be one that you stick with, it doesn't matter. Devin, I like to say that we're the, as business owners, we're the only ones that remember what was written on our website six months ago. Like the person that visits our website today has no idea that we were targeting somebody else in, in the past, usually. Um, so when it comes to outbound, you obviously want to make sure that you're segmenting the people that you're reaching out to. And what I like to do is focus on what are their challenges and what are their pain points that these people might be experiencing based on their stage of business or their individual role. Um, and then once I have a, I guess, a short list of pain points, um, not all of these pain points have to be what my solution helps them overcome with as well, because um, whatever your product or service, so we're in the world of brand awareness. So if I go and speak to a demand generation manager, branding is just one part of demand gen. There's other challenges that are looking to solve as well. Um, so I segment, uh, segment my audience, look at the ch- challenges and pain points, and then I simply begin the process of reaching out to these people. And the biggest uh, trick or secret in outbound sales is that you have to remove yourself from the outcome and remember that all you're trying to do is start a conversation with these prospects. Hmm. No, and I think that, you know, I think that that definitely makes sense. Now, one of the questions I'll, I'll ask, and, you know, it's not necessarily when we chat about a bit before, but you say, now you're doing okay. I get, I've decided I'm going to do outbound sales. You know, this goes into whether it's LinkedIn or other ones. How do you decide the channel? And then, because a lot of times when you n- normally or traditionally, probably a bit back or dating me, you think outbound, outbound sales are going to be, hey, I'm going to cold call a whole bunch of people. We'll have mm-hmm. a sales room and everybody will be on the phone and it'll be a game of numbers. And if we have enough calls that we'll, ha- we'll land some cold calls that will then be warm leads. And then from warm leads, we'll develop them. We'll continue to call them and bug them. And eventually some of them will convert. And so it's really just a numbers game. So you hire as many people at as low a salary as you can to make as much or many calls as you can now is that the is that the correct outlook and i, I have my my guess but outbound sales are kind of what is outbound sales or how do you start to develop that approach 
Yeah, sure. So I like to say you want to be fishing where the fish are. So every market that you're selling to, every prospect or group of prospects that you're selling to are going to be in different places. Um, if you're trying to reach the salespeople, marketers, HR, then LinkedIn is going to be a great place. If it's people that aren't potentially on LinkedIn, then there might be other communities or other places where they spend time online. And that's what really your research when you're doing a buyer persona work uh, really helps you understand. Um, for me, the, well, uh, not for me, but for many businesses, the most successful approach to outbound is to have a multi-channel, omni-channel uh, approach to it, which is a combination of phone, email, LinkedIn, uh, other social platforms as well. And more one, that, uh, one tactic or channel that I'm seeing used more effectively recently is communities as well. So Slack, uh, there's thousands of communities in Slack, which might only have eight or 900 people in there. But if it's the HR leadership uh, community, then you know there's going to be 800 HR leaders in there as well. So do your best to get into those communities and deliver value before you ask anything in return. No, and I think that finding the or finding that finding the value, finding how you can do it, and, and taking that you know that as you said, finding where the fish are definitely makes sense. Now we'll transition a bit from there into one of the platforms I love, or at least you know, and I I think it is depending on your business. But it's LinkedIn because LinkedIn, it seems like it has the, it gives you the ability to reach out, connect with or network with people that otherwise you'd probably have a difficult time or connecting with. And now yeah. I've seen, you know, and as an example, you know, if you're looking to get in touch with the CEO of a company or, you know, a, a founder, co-founder, something of that nature, or marketing or sales or something of that, you know, somebody, a leader in the company, if you're to call them up or just try and, you know, cold email them it's going to be fairly difficult because they get or hounded and or they have safeguards in place. A lot of times it seems like people to a degree let down that now it may be shifting, but at least for now, let down their guard a bit on LinkedIn and are a bit more open to connect or communicate or otherwise um, directly connect with you. So what are the things that you should be thinking about as far as if you should link, use LinkedIn and what are kind of the successful ways that you can link, use LinkedIn and what are the things that you should avoid trying to do on LinkedIn? Yeah. So first of all, you want to understand if, if LinkedIn is that right channel for you, those job titles you mentioned, CEO, founder, HR, sales, marketing, facilities, accountants, that there are so many people on there. So you could first of all, have a look at the categories within LinkedIn, because you'll see which uh, industries are, are on there as well. And you don't need the LinkedIn sales navigator for this. Um, you can use the free version of, of LinkedIn. And as a very, if we're very early stage, all I'd be looking for is to find a list of a thousand. It's a good place to start. If you do effective outbound to a thousand people, you will get results. So if LinkedIn is the channel that you want to focus on, then there's two steps to this. The first is inbound. The second is outbound. Just covering inbound really quickly. You just want to make sure that your profile speaks in the language of your prospects uh, and it communicates the value that you can add and offer and that your service or product can deliver for them. You want to make sure it's optimized for with clear call to actions throughout. And don't talk about yourself too much. Talk about the results you can uh, get for your customers. A lot of businesses make the mistake of making themselves the hero uh, when really your customer is the hero and you're the guide in their journey. Um, so having a complete profile with a, 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 an image, a header profile, a good headline, an about and a bio, and you can add some rich media in there as well, like images and videos, is the first place to start. And then once that's all, all done, done and ready, then you can start doing outbound. You can start reaching out to those people that you saw in the list in the search result. Um, the best way that I believe uh, is well, it's working for me and a lot of the other companies I'm working with at the moment, uh, depending on who you're reaching out to, but um, I send a connection request without a message. 
Um, and then once that person follows me in batches, I do this manually. You can use automation, but at your own uh, risk, I do mine manually. So what I'll do is every other day, I'll have a look at who's accepted my connection request, and then I'll send them a message. And my message isn't, is, is a give. It's not asking for anything in return. So my message will typically be, um, not sure if you thought about speaking on podcasts to increase brand awareness. However, I recorded an interview where I spoke about this. Let me know if you'd like to send it. If, let me know if you'd like me to send over the link. Um, it could be a strategy for you to think about for 2022. No, and I, I think that definitely is, is some uh, good piece of advice. And I'll ask you because, you know, I see, you know, there's a pretty wide spectrum if you're to go on LinkedIn of ways that people are are hitting marketing. And some of them resonate with me. Some of them don't resonate with me. And I think, you know, you hit on some, uh, some good ones. But, you know, you'll see everything from somebody that has an automated messaging. And I'm not saying knocking automated messaging, but it's simply mm-hmm. just blasting, hey, it has nothing to do with you. You can read it. You can tell that they're just trying to blast as many people as you can. Half, most of the time, it's services you really don't need. And it's incredibly long. And, t- you know, it's like three pages of things or text and videos and stuff. And it seems like that is a, in my mind, a bad way to reach out or a less effective way to reach out. And so it seems like, yeah. you know, one personal touch, if you can do it, is the best way and even if it's a non-personal touch, you make it something where you're offering them value and making it simple to the point and not wasting people time is the best approach. Is that right? Or how should you balance yeah. that message? Yeah, I like to always say, don't burn your bridges. So um, Chet Holmes wrote in the Ultimate Sales Machine back in 2007 that only 3% of your market, only 3% of any market is actively buying and 7% might be open to it. So 90% of people in your market aren't looking for a solution right now, or they don't understand that they need a solution. So if you just go and blast with a really impersonal message, which is clearly automated, you're not including their first name, or if you are including their first name and they've got an emoji before that name, that's scraping into the automation tool as well. It's not going to do your reputation any good. Um, The amount of uh, deals and customers that I've made that I originally reached out to several months ago when the timing wasn't right, but I stayed top of mind as much as I could. So when they were ready to buy, when they did have a problem that they knew that I could help them overcome, um, they would then reach out to me. So never burn your bridges. And if you've got a small addressable market that you're starting off with, it's really important not to burn through them all. Hmm. No, I, I think that definitely makes sense. Now, one of the other other tactics I've seen, and you know, you'll have to give me your opinion on how it works, is you'll say, okay, in order to increase the number of connections I have, you can have, and I know there's, I'm sure LinkedIn doesn't like it, but there's certainly services out there. We can automatically reach out to someone. And I've seen everything from a really crappy message of, hey, I'd like to expand my network or connect with you to something that's a bit more personal. And sometimes, you know, the ones that are look like they're automated, I'm usually one where if somebody's reaching out, most of the time I'll probably accept just because I don't mm-hmm. see the harm. On the other hand, I know there are other people that are much more judicious about accepting it. But should you be doing a one-on-one only connecting with the people that you directly have a reason to reach out with? Or if you're looking saying, okay, I only have a few hundred people in my network, it's going to be hard to really leverage that. And I want to increase that, but I don't, you know, I don't make hundreds of connections with their, you know, personal connections mm-hmm. with people a month. How do you kind of go about expanding that, that network while not alienating them? Yeah. So if you've only got a small kind of addressable market, so take the example of looking for partners for your business. Um, there is going to be a shorter list of partners that you want to reach out with. So definitely don't automate that. Make sure that you're doing a very high touch and personalized because really, realistically, there's probably about 100 partners that I would really want to partner with. 
So I can afford to take the time to really reach out and personalize my outreach. And I'm also thinking what's in it for them. I'm always thinking what's in it for them because that's what they're thinking. What's in it for me? Why would I want to connect with this person? When you've got larger, a larger volume of people that you can reach out to, you can automate it. But what I found, Devin, is um, whether I add a personalized message or not, and I've tried lots of different variations versus mm-hmm. just sending a connection request, I get about the same amount of reply, uh, about of accepts. So, mm-hmm. but the time it takes for me to put that personalized message in versus just hitting the connect button 20 times a day, it doesn't pay off. And then what you can always do when people don't accept your connection request, you can withdraw that. And I believe the number now is around 60 or 90 days. Don't quote me on the exact number, but you can uh, reconnect with them as well. So take those people that didn't accept your blank connection request and then try adding a personalized message. Another thing to do as well, um, and the previous company that I ran, Devin, was a lead research and data enrichment. So we did this sort of work for people. Have a look at the person's profile page that you're reaching out to. Um, If they haven't got a photo, they've got a skeleton kind of CV on there and they haven't updated or posted recently, then maybe LinkedIn isn't the best channel to reach this particular prospect, even though it could be a qualified lead for your business. No, I think that that definitely makes sense. And I think that sounds like the takeaways, one is, is the conversion of just clicking connect and going through versus doing that personalized message. Maybe you start out with clicking connect because it's almost, you know, the acceptance rates is, is similar but either way it almost sounds like having a plan for what they what you do after they connect or how you or kind of how you nurture that lead is also that important and if they don't connect you know maybe there's a reason or you update it with a personal or personal touch mm-hmm. afterwards but in, in other words having that plan in place as to how you actually make those connections and follow up definitely makes sense one other now switching, I you know, kind of going along with that, but switching gears slightly. One of the other things that we talked about, and I, it's a topic that I could go on for a much longer time than I think <laughs> anybody would want to talk about, but which I think is a definite has a lot of good potential and a lot of ways that you can do it well, and it also has a lot of ways that can be done crappily if that's a word, um, is <laughs> marketing automation in the sense that I think marketing automation, so a lot of my companies that I, that I have, we have a, a great automation machine. We're always tweaking it. We're always adjusting it. But it's also one where we have to be very cognizant or aware of how we are interacting with people. In other words, it can't be all automated. There still needs to be mm-hmm. personal touches. It still needs to be helpful. It can't overwhelm them. You can't, you can't, don't want to send them too much information, but you also don't want to send them uh, too little of information. And you also don't want to make it feel like it's a boss. So it's a big balancing act. Yeah, so yeah. what are the things that, when should people be considering marketing automations? What one, and I know it's a compound question, which I try to avoid, but mm-hmm. when should they be considering it? And what are some of the things that they, if they are considering it, that they should do? And what are some of the things that they should avoid? Yeah. So I think when it comes to thinking about what to automate, uh, if you're very new to your business or this business is particularly new for you, do the process manually first. The mistake, the, mo- the biggest mistake that most founders make is they automate, they try and automate everything from the beginning, but they're automating a broken process or an inefficient process or just a process that doesn't move the needle at all. So I would always say do things manually and map out what those steps are. So to give an example of something that we automate, um, okay, no, I'll, I'll go back one second. When, it, when you're thinking about automation, you really need to think that there's three main components to any automation. And this is why I think marketing automation is quite simple, uh, but it gets complex with all the moving parts. But there's a trigger event. So something happens. There's usually a condition, not always, but there's a condition. So check this. Um, and then there's an action. So then do that. Um, But what you can actually do is you can be the trigger. 
So as you mentioned, you, you want to humanize your outreach, you want to humanize your uh, interactions with potential, uh, potential prospects and even customers. Um, so what, what we do a lot of is we have a lot of internal forms that our team complete, which then triggers off an automation. So rather than saying, once a customer signs up with us and they pay their first invoice, within 30 days, ask them how their onboarding went. Um, what we would rather do is wait until the customer success manager has said, I've completed the onboarding, they fill out a form, and then that triggers the automation to that customer. So thinking about what can go wrong, <laughs> and when there's humans involved in a service delivery, a lot of things can go wrong as well. Uh, a little bit like another automation that I see often made really badly is when you've had, uh, as a consumer, had a bad experience on a website or you're trying to purchase something, and then you get an email saying, how did we do? Leave us a review on Trustradius or Trustpilot. Um, really what you want to do is understand, is it uh, out of the score of one to 10, if it's an eight and a nine, send them straight to the reviews. If it's anything below an eight, find out why it was below an eight and work out how you can help the next customer get a better score or give, give a better score. So yeah, thinking of those uh, triggers, conditions and actions, and then also putting the human in the middle and allowing the human to be the trigger. And by that, I mean, simply completing a form. No, and I, I definitely think that makes sense. Now, one, one maybe question just to follow up or to, to or circle back just a little bit. So those are a lot of things you should be doing, which I think you're great advice. What are the things that, and you touched on it lightly when you said, you know, as far as you shouldn't, if you have a broken process, first of all, fix the process before you try and automate mm -hmm. a broken process. But what are some of the other things that you maybe shouldn't be doing as far as automations or you should be avoiding, especially if you're new to it and you haven't, you don't have a lot of experience with it? Yeah, I think what we've got to understand is whilst we're using technology and we're leveraging it to be more efficient, we really are still communicating with humans. So what we do is we make the mistake of treating every lead, let's say, as the same lead and as the same, they're in the same stage of the buyer's journey. So what might happen is somebody downloads your or subscribes to your newsletter. Fantastic. You've got an email address. They go onto a list. And then what the mistake would be is to then send them an email to encourage them to book a call, a sales call or book a demo, because that might not be where they're at at the moment. So that's where you'd want to kind of start to segment the people that you have to understand where they are in, in their own buyer's journey. Um, so I think the biggest mistake is just treating everybody as equal when we're all individual, unique human beings who are at different stages uh, when we come and, and approach a company. No, and I think that, and I, you know, is that I definitely think that's a great piece of it. I think it's one that's easy to overlook when you get started because you're saying, oh, well, everybody, you know, everybody gets started the same. They all go through the same journey. And there's to a degree that might be true for some portions mm -hmm. of the journey. You're always trying to convince, get them to the same end point. They need to make some of the same decisions or take some of the same actions. But at the same time, you know, there's different individuals that are different parts of the journey. And some people are signing up because they want to get information and they really intend to convert in three months. So they're just doing a bit of information gathering. And some people are saying, hey, I want to buy now or I want to get going. And I want them to reach out to me. And I think figuring out how to balance that in your process and so you can understand which or be able to segment them out makes a big part right in other words mm -hmm. the only way you can treat them differently is if you can figure out how, how they're different in other words so you have to kind of have that in a way that's not intrusive you know what i hate yeah. is if you have a long form and hey tell us everything you know everything about your firstborn your whole career how much <laughs> money you make you know what where you live what's a, your average your in, income and every and you, by the time you're like i don't want to give all this personal information away and so you have to balance that so how do you balance 
knowing how to treat them differently without being so intrusive that nobody's going to want to ever give you all that information. Yeah, so there's, there's a few ways you can do this. So there's an amazing tool called ConvertFlow. Uh, write Message is another alternative where you can have call to actions on your website. So you could have a form or a slide in and it says like, what are you hoping to achieve today? Or, or what is it you're looking for? Having live chat on your website as well, which allows people to ask a question about pricing versus just checking out. So I was reviewing a software today looking for a new CRM. Um, I went straight to the support and I said, how does the pricing work? Because I want to have two seats, but it's really me. I'm using one domain for outreach and the other domain is me, but it's still me logging in. So do I have to buy two licenses or one? That's a super hot lead for that company right now versus just somebody signing up on the newsletter. Another mistake which, which you reminded me of is that the buyer's journey has completely changed. And oftentimes there'll be more junior people in their organization doing the research and collecting the information about the potential solutions out there. And what automated lead scoring, which is pretty advanced automation if you're at that stage, what it does is it looks at their job title, it sees that they're um, an associate or an intern, and then it goes uh, uh, minus 50. We don't want to speak to that that lead because they're not qualified. Um, And that's a mistake because they may not be the ultimate decision maker, yet they're going to be very influential into this part of their buyer's journey as well. So um, whilst I say don't treat, everybody as, uh, don't treat everybody as equal, it's the same for that inbound coming in as well. Um, so I think just a, a couple, couple of things there. To your point about the forms, um, I don't believe in gating content unless you've invested a lot of time and people can take that content and immediately improve uh, their lives through, their, through the content itself. So mm. the worst thing to do is gate case studies and when I say gate is put a form in front of case studies like why would you want to stop people from seeing that case study when they're evaluating other vendors they'll look at your competitors and all of their case studies are easily accessible on the website who are they going to reach out to first Um, when it comes to collecting that information you can do um, what's known as I forget the term now but the, the first thing is just get the email and then maybe later on in, in that journey or through your marketing automation, you enrich that data with a little bit more. For example, you don't need to ask somebody what their company name is if they're signing up with their company domain. Uh, don't ask somebody what their LinkedIn profile is because you can find that with their first, last and company name. So minimize the fields, remove the friction um, when it comes to those forms. Yeah, I, I've always, I, as much as I've been able to, I've ungated the content and people reach out organically because that people aren't stupid. Um, they found it valuable. They really like the content. They feel like this is a company they, that they could work with. And then they reach out. It's just very hard to attribute, which is why we stick everything behind the form. Yeah, I know. And I think, and I, I get the motivation or why the forms came into play. It's just, oh, this will be great. We can gather all this information. It makes it so we can better or separate them out. But I think that it's also sometimes leads to, one, it leads to laziness, but even two more so than that, at least to a worse customer experience. And to your point, if your other, if their competitors aren't doing that and they're making it much easier to access and yours is much more what it feels to be intrusive or more difficult, they're going to go to the competitors that are much easier yeah. to access the same. And it may be not even as good information. Maybe they don't do as good job, but it's a lot easier to access. You know, that's always kind of, you know, our mantra has always been more, be more like, you know, be more like McDonald's in the sense that 
You want to be able to come in, have an easy menu to, to order from. It's as quick, it's easy, it's simple, and it doesn't take a long time. And the more you can make that experience, you know, whether or not you like McDonald's, whether or not you like your hamburgers, mm-hmm. uh, the same analogy applies of making it a simple process that's uh, smooth and, and, uh, and uh, you know, simple for them can make a much bigger difference as to whether they convert than, hey, we gathered all this information or we got halfway through gathering this information, they got tired of it, and they went somewhere mm-hmm. else. Yeah, I just want to give an example because a lot of people push back on me and say, well, when do you gate content? When don't you? You made a point, Devin, it's a really good idea to collect the information. That's as the marketer, that's as the company, right? It's not a great idea for the for the consumer. And I know, I know you weren't saying that, that it was a fantastic idea for the consumer, but it was the marketer's choice to do it. Um, I was on HubSpot's blog today. I was, I was writing some content around follow-up emails for sales. I went onto their blog and there was the ultimate guide to email follow-ups. So it gave information about sequences, how many you should send, lots of information. And what they had on that page was a content upgrade. And that was get these 25 templates. So I've consumed content, it's good, I want more. And now they're dangling 25 uh, email templates that I could literally just copy and paste if I wanted to. Um, that's a good time to put in a content up, uh, put in a content upgrade ask people for their details. The mistake that they made though, is you don't get the content via email. So you can just put in the fake name, fake email address, and you get redirected to the page where the download is what is as well. So whenever I have gated content, I've never allowed access to it on the thank you page. I've always sent it via email because then people actually sign up. Hmm. No, and I think that's good. You know, that's an interesting one to kind of say, hey, when maybe you you start out by offering that similar content to your competitors for free, but then you say now for additional things that are of higher value, once you kind of hook them and, you know, not in a bad way, but you give them mm-hmm. valuable content, then you're slowly saying, okay, now as we continue to develop this relationship, as we're continuing to give you more content, maybe it's for free or, you know, whatnot. Now it's one where we can slowly migrate and collect that information of further delineate amount. Cause it also shows they're much higher intent if they continue mm-hmm. to want to or, they enjoyed the original content you gave away without any gating of it. And then you slowly or, or continue to provide that. So I think that definitely makes sense. Perfect. Well, we could, I'm sure go on for a much longer period of time. We'd have a great conversation. The audience would probably say, okay, enough of marketing. I've got it. I've got too many things already. I'm already overwhelmed and I don't know how to do it all that I need to. So with that, we'll transition to the last question that I always ask it, which is, so we, we've talked about a whole, you know, several different topics, a lot of different areas, a lot of things that people should consider and they could do. And yet, you know, most of the time you, you listen to these and you walk away saying, well, I can't do it all. And I'm overwhelmed. And I'd just rather just, I'll just go back to what I'm comfortable and used to. So we don't want people to do that. So with that, if people were to kind of have just one thing that they could get started, one takeaway that they really should get going on today that would have an impact on the business, what would that one thing be? Yeah, uh, so no pressure, but uh, distribution. Think about distribution. Think about who also speaks to my audience and how could I potentially partner with them? How can I find a win-win-win solution for the potential customers the partner and myself. Um, distribution is the shortcut to business growth. Um, for us at Speak on Podcast, we really didn't do too much marketing at all, but we focus on distribution, which got us our early customers and still several customers a month at the moment through these partners that we established. It's a long game, um, but distribution is your shortcut. No, and I, I think that, that that's a great takeaway. And if, if you only get started on one thing, that would be a great one to get started with. So 
Well, now as we wrap up, if people want to reach out to the out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Sure. So uh, the best place to find me is probably LinkedIn. So you can search for Mark Colgan, that's C-O-L-G-A-N. And if you're interested in podcasts in general, we help companies get interviewed on podcasts, but I also love the topic of podcasts where everyone's advertised, start your own or speak on others. More than happy to speak to you via speakonpodcast.com. All right. Well, sounds like a wealth of uh, knowledge, a wealth of, uh, of experience, and definitely encourage people to reach out and contact you. I mean, because there's definitely a lot of uh, advantage and, and things to leverage there. So, well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own expertise to share or you want to share your journey, uh, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things, make sure to listen, make sure to subscribe, make sure to share because we want to make sure everybody finds out about our awesome episodes. And last but not least, if you need any help with patents or trademarks or anything else with your business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Mark, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Cheers, Devin. It's been great being here. Thank you so much.